Chapter 13 of The Deluge, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mike Botez. The Deluge, Volume 2 by Henrik Sienkiewicz. Translated by Jeremiah Curtin. 1835-1906 Chapter 13 From Lubovlia the king advanced to Dukla, Krosno, Lanzut, and Lvov, having at his side the marshal of the kingdom, many dignitaries and senators with the court squadrons and escorts, and as a great river flowing through a country, gathers to itself all the small waters, so did new legions gather to the retinue of the king. Lords and armed nobles thronged forward, and soldiers, now singly, now in groups, and crowds of armed peasants, burning with special hatred against the Swedes. The movement was becoming universal, and the military order of things had begun to lead to it. Threatening manifestos had appeared dated from Sanch, one by Konstantin Lubomirsky, the Marshal of the Circle of Knights, the other by Jan Velopolsky, the Castellan of Voynik, both calling on the nobles in the province of Krakow to join the general militia, those failing to appear were threatened with the punishments of public law. The manifesto of the king completed these and brought the most slothful to their feet. But there was no need of threats, for an immense enthusiasm had seized all ranks. Old men and children mounted their horses, women gave up their jewels, their dresses, some rushed off to the conflict themselves. In the forges, gypsies were pounding whole nights and days with their hammers, turning the innocent tools of the plowman into weapons. Villages and towns were empty, for the men had marched to the field. From the heaven-touching mountains, night and day, crowds of wild people were pouring down. The forces of the king increased with each moment. The clergy came forth with crosses and banners to meet the king. Jewish societies came with their rabbis. His advance was like a mighty triumph. From every side flew in the best tidings, as if borne by the wind. Not only in that part of the country, which the invasion of the enemy had not included, did people rush to arms. Everyone in the remotest lands and provinces, in towns, villages, settlements, and unapproachable wilderness, the awful war of revenge and retaliation raised its flaming head. The lower the people had fallen before, the higher they raised their heads now. They had been reborn, changed in spirit, and in their exaltation did not even hesitate to tear open their own half-healed wounds, to free their blood of poisoned juices. 
They had begun already to speak, and with increasing loudness, of the powerful union of the nobles and the army, at the head of which were to be the old grand hetman Rivera Pototsky and the full hetman Lanskoronsky, Stefan Charnietsky and Sapieha, Michael Radzivil, a powerful magnate anxious to remove the ill fame which Janusz had brought on the house, and Pan Krzysztof Tishkiewicz, with many other senators, provincial and military officials and nobles. Letters were flying every day between these men and the marshal of the kingdom, who did not wish that so noted a union should be formed without him. Tidings more and more certain arrived, till at last it was announced with authority that the hetmans and with them the army had abandoned the Swedes and formed for the defense of the king and the country the confederation of Tishovtsi. The king knew of this first, for he and the queen, though far apart, had labored no little through letters and messengers at the formation of it. Still not being able to take personal part in the affair, he waited for the tenor of it with impatience. But before he came to Lvov, Pan Sluyevsky with Pan Domashevsky, judge of Lukov, came to him bringing assurances of service and loyalty from the Confederates and the Act of Union for confirmation. The king then read that act at a general council of bishops and senators. The hearts of all were filled with delight. Their spirits rose in thankfulness to God. For the memorable confederacy announced not merely that the people had come to their senses, but that they had changed. That people of whom, not long before, the foreign invader might say that they had no loyalty, no love of country, no conscience, no order, no endurance, nor any of those virtues through which nations and states do endure. The testimony of all these virtues lay now before the king in the act of a confederation and its manifesto. In it was summed up the perfidy of Carl Gustav, his violation of oaths and promises, the cruelty of his generals and his soldiers, such as are not practiced by even the wildest of people, desecration of churches, oppression, rapacity, robbery, shedding of innocent blood, and they declared against the Scandinavian invasion a war of life or death, a manifesto terrible as the trumpet of the archangel, summoned not only knights but all ranks and all people in the commonwealth, even infamous, the infamous, banity, outlaws, and proscripti, the proscribed, should go to this war, said the manifesto. The knights were to mount their horses and expose their own breasts, and the land was to furnish infantry, 
wealthy holders more, the poorer less, according to their wealth and means. Since in this state good and evil belong equally to all, it is proper that all should share danger. Whoso calls himself noble, with hind or without it, and if one noble has a number of sons, they should all go to the war against the enemies of the commonwealth. Since we all, whether of higher or lower birth, being nobles, are eligible to all the prerogatives of office, dignity and profit in the country, so we are equal in this, that we should go in like manner with our own persons to the defense of these liberties and benefits. Thus did the Manifesto explain the equality of nobles. The king, the bishops and the senators, who for a long time had carried in their hearts the thought of reforming the commonwealth, convinced themselves with joyful wonder that the people had become ripe for that reform, that they were ready to enter upon now paths, rub the rust and mold from themselves and begin a new glorious life. With this, explained the manifesto, we open to each deserving man of plebeian condition a place. We indicate and offer by this our confederation an opportunity to reach and acquire the honors, prerogatives and benefits which the noble estate enjoys. When this introduction was read at the royal council, a deep silence followed. Those who with the king desired most earnestly that access to rights of nobility should be open to people of lower station thought that they would have to overcome, endure and break no small opposition, that whole years would pass before it would be safe to give utterance to anything similar. Meanwhile, that same nobility, which hitherto had been so jealous of its prerogatives, so stubborn in appearance, opened wide the gate to the grey crowds of peasants. The primate rose, encircled as it were by the spirit of prophecy, and said, since you have inserted that punctum, paragraph, posterity will glorify this confederation from age to age, and when any one shall wish to consider these times as times of the fall of ancient Polish virtue, in contradicting him, men will point to you. Father Gambitsky was ill, therefore he could not speak but with hand trembling from emotion, he blessed the act and the envoys. I see the enemy already departing in shame from this land, said the king. God grant it most quickly, cried both envoys. Gentlemen, you will go with us to Lvov, said the king, where we will confirm this confederation at once, and besides, shall conclude another, which the powers of hell itself will not overcome. The envoys and senators looked at one another as if asking what power was in question. The king was silent, but his countenance grew brighter and brighter. He took the act again in his hand and read it a second time. 
smiled and asked, Were there many opponents? Gracious Lord, answered Pan Domashevsky, this confederacy arose with unanimity through the efforts of the hetmans of Sapieha, of Pan Charnetsky, and among nobles not a voice was raised in opposition. So angry are they all of the Swedes, and so have they flamed up with love for the country and your majesty. We decided, moreover, in advance, added Pan Sluyevsky, that this was not to be a diet, but that pluralitas, plurality, alone was to decide. Therefore, no man's veto could injure the cause. We should have cut an opponent to pieces with our sabers. All said, too, that it was necessary to finish with the liberum veto, since it is freedom for one, but slavery for many. Golden words of yours, said the primate. Only let a reform of the commonwealth come, and no enemy will frighten us. But where is the voevoda of Vityebsk? asked the king. He went in the night, after the signing of the manifesto, to his own troops at Tikotsin, in which he holds the voevoda of Vilna, the traitor besieged. Before this time he must have taken him, living or dead. Was he so sure of capturing him? He was as sure as that night follows day. All, even his most faithful servants, have deserted the traitor. Only a handful of Swedes are defending themselves there, and reinforcements cannot come from any side. Pan Sapieha said in Tishovtsi, I wanted to wait one day, for I should have finished with Radzivil before evening. But this is more important than Radzivil, for they can take him without me. One squadron is enough. Praise be to God, said the king. But where is Charnetsky? So many of the best cavaliers have hurried to him that in one day he was at the head of an excellent squadron. He moved at once on the Swedes, and where he is at this moment we know not. But the hetmans? They are waiting anxiously for the command of your royal grace. They are both laying plans for the coming war and are in communication with Pan Jan Zamoyski in Zamost. Meanwhile, regiments are rolling to them every day with the snow. Have all left the Swedes then? Yes, gracious king, there were deputies also to the hetmans from the troops of Konetspolsky, who is the person of Karl Gustav. And they too would be glad to return to their lawful service, though Karl does not spare on them promises or flattery. They said too that they could not recedere, withdraw at once. They would do so as soon as a convenient time came, for they have grown tired of his feasts and his flattery, his eye-winking and clapping of hands. They can barely hold out. 
Everywhere people are coming to their senses, everywhere good news. Said the king, Praise to the Most Holy Lady, this is the happiest day of my life. And the second such will come only when the last soldier of the enemy leaves the boundary of the Commonwealth. At this Pandomashevsky struck his sword. May God not grant that to happen, said he. How is that? asked the king with astonishment. That the last white breeches should leave the boundaries of the Commonwealth on his own feet? Impossible, gracious lord. What have we sabers at our sides for? Oh, said the king, made glad. That is bravery. But Pan Sluyevsky, not wishing to remain behind, Domashevsky said, As true as life, we will not agree to that. And first I will place a veto on it. We shall not be content with their retreat. We will follow them. The primate shook his head and smiled kindly. Oh, the nobles are on horseback, and they will ride on and on. But not too fast, not too fast. The enemy are still within the boundaries. Their time is short, cried both confederates. The spirit has changed, and fortune will change, said Father Gembitsky in a weak voice. Wine, cried the king. Let me drink to the change with the confederates. They brought wine, but with the servants who brought the wine, entered an old attendant of the king, who said, Gracious Lord, Pan Krzysztoporski has come from Częstochowa and wishes to do homage to your royal grace. Bring him here quickly, cried the king. In a moment, a tall, thin noble entered with a frowning look. He bowed before the king to his feet, then rather haughtily to the dignitaries and said, May the Lord Jesus Christ be praised. For the ages of ages, answered the king, what is to be heard from the monastery? Terrible frost, gracious lord, so that the eyelids are frozen to the eyeballs. But for God's sake, tell us of the sweets and not of the frost, cried the king. But what can I say of them, gracious lord, when there are none at Częstochowa? asked he humorously. Those tidings have come to us, replied the king, but only from the talk of the people, and they have come from the cloister itself. Are you an eyewitness? I am, gracious lord, a partner in the defense and an eyewitness of the miracles of the Most Holy Lady. That was not the end of her grace, said the king, raising his eyes to heaven but let us earn them further. I have seen much in my life, continued the noble, but such evident miracles I have not seen, touching which the prior Kordetsky writes in detail in this letter. Jan Kazimir seized hastily the letter handed him by the noble and began to read. At times he interrupted the reading to pray, then again turned to the letter. His face changed with joyful feelings. 
At last he raised his eyes to the noble. Father Kordetsky writes me, said he, that you have lost a great cavalier, a certain Babinich, who blew up the Swedish siege gun with powder. He sacrificed himself for all. But some say he is alive, and God knows what they have said. Not being certain, we have not ceased to mourn him, for without his gallant deed, it would have been hard for us to defend ourselves. If that is true, then cease to mourn him. Pan Babinich is alive, and here with us. He was the first to inform us that the Swedes, not being able to do anything against the power of God, were thinking of retreat. And later he rendered such famous service that we know not ourselves how to pay him. Oh, that will comfort the prior, cried the noble with gladness. But if Pan Babinich is alive, it is only because he has the special favor of the Most Holy Lady. How that will comfort Father Kordetsky. A father could not love a son as he loved him. And your royal grace will permit me to greet Pan Babinich, for there is not a second man of such daring in the commonwealth. But the king began again to read, and after a while cried, What do I hear? After retreating they tried once again to steal on the cloister. When Miller went away, he did not show himself again. But Count Weyhard appeared unexpectedly at the walls, trusting, it seems, to find the gates open. He did, but the peasants fell on him with such rage that he retreated shamefully. While the world is a world, simple peasants have never fought so in the open field against cavalry. Then Pan Pyotr Charnetsky and Pan Kulesha came up and cut him to pieces. The king turned to the senators. See how poor plowmen stand up in defense of this country and the holy faith. That they stand up, gracious king, is true, cried the noble. Whole villages near Częstochowa are empty, for the peasants are in the field with their scythes. There is a fierce war everywhere. The Swedes are forced to keep together in numbers, and if the peasants catch one of them, they treat him so that it would be better for him to go straight to hell. Who is not taking up arms now in the Commonwealth? It was not for the Dog Brothers to attack Częstochowa. From that hour they could not remain in this country. From this hour no man will suffer oppression in this land, who resists now with his blood, said the king with solemnity. So help me God and the Holy Cross. Amen, added the primate. Now the noble struck his forehead with his hand. The frost has disturbed my mind, gracious lord, for I forgot to tell one thing, that such a son, the voevoda of Poznan, 
is dead. He died, they say, suddenly. Here the noble was somewhat ashamed, seeing that he had called a great senator that such a son, in presence of the king and dignitaries. Therefore he added, confused, I do not wish to belittle an honorable station, but a traitor. But no one had noticed that clearly, for all looked at the king, who said, We have long predestined Pan Jan Leszczynski to be voevoda of Poznan, even during the life of Pan Opalinski. Let him fill that office more worthily. The judgment of God, I see, has begun upon those who brought this country to its decline. For at this moment, perhaps, the voevoda of Vilna is giving an account of his deeds before the supreme judge. Here he turned to the bishops and senators. But it is time for us to think of a general war. And I wish to have the opinion of all of you, gentlemen, on this question. End of chapter 13 Recording by Mike Botez